Hi there, my name is Jonathan. I'm the host here at The Venue RX, and our mission is to document and share the best practices for building, owning, operating, and managing world-class wedding venues. Our company, Common Sense Events, is a venue management company that consults, manages, and operates venues all over the US. I'm here to share the mindset and methods that have worked for us in the past and are working for us now as we continue to build our venue management company. Thank you so much for listening. Please consider subscribing and sharing this, and let's get to the show. What's up everyone, Jonathan here with The Venue RX and I am so thrilled for today's episode. I'm gonna be talking to venue owner Kristen Binford. She is a dear friend and she actually flew into town here to Southern California and I'm really excited to be able to interview her in person here on the podcast. We're gonna get going to that in just a second. Just wanted to remind you really quickly, if you do enjoy our show and you watch us on YouTube or maybe listen on Spotify, would you consider leaving a, a quick review or maybe subscribing if you're not already? That would mean so much, especially as we continue to grow this channel and provide as much value as we can. All right, we're gonna get right into the show and uh, yeah, let's do it. You're listening to the Venue RX Podcast. What is up everyone? Jonathan here with the Venue RX and I am so excited to be doing an in-person podcast today with my very dear friend and past Venue RX guest, Thank you. Yeah. Kristen Binford. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm excited for it. We're going to have fun. Yep. So she happened to be in town. I wish you know she flew all the way here just to be here in person on the podcast. I would have loved that. But she was in town here in Southern California and we, I want to take the opportunity to uh, not just pick her brain as a professional in this industry, but really understand more about your venue, Haw sure. Valley. And you know, this is gonna be part of the venue owner series and this is a newer part of, of our show that I've been really excited about because we've been able to pick uh, the brains of venue owners, but not just pick their brains, we've learned about like the daily ins and outs, the things that you, know, you can expect. If you're a venue owner hopeful or maybe you know, if you're in year one or year two and you're thinking like, is this supposed to be this hard? Like, is this supposed to, are these the challenges that I'm supposed to be facing? So we're gonna be diving into that today with Kristen. If you are first time on the show, uh, our show is all about documenting and sharing best practices around owning, operating, managing, building, all of the things related to world-class wedding venues. And so uh, in the pursuit of that, I'm so excited to, to dig into it a little bit. Thank um, you, we're gonna have fun. We always have fun when we're together, so. We do, and you're about to be at Wedding MBA, correct? Yes. And you're gonna be speaking there, and you have a booth there, so anyone who's gonna be at Wedding MBA, please make sure to uh, stop by and say hi to Kristen. You'll be, do you have a booth number, do you know yet? I think it's 2118. Okay, I just I put her on the spot for that, <laughs> so she's, she's been a good sport. But, um, so yeah, let's talk about Haw Valley, and then for context, just to, to let folks know who you are if they haven't heard of you before. Could you kind of give us a little intro and origin story around who you are and how you got into the industry? Yeah, so my name is Kristen Binford. I own a wedding venue, Haw Valley. We're about 45 minutes west of St. Louis. Um, this is our 10th season. We host about 100 weddings a year. Super grateful, have a lot of fun. Um, I have, I, I didn't plan to get into the wedding industry is the truthful answer to that question. We, um, back in 2008, I was working in high-end business consulting and for a company and the market fell out of, uh, the bottom fell out of the market and I wasn't in a place to manage stress mm -hmm. as well as I could have and I, I needed something else to dream about is the truthful answer and um, in 2008 we started business planning to open a winery 
and we have a beautiful family farm. It's 246 acres, great location right near the interstate, not that far out of downtown St. Louis. And we were thinking we were gonna open a winery. Honestly, it was just fun research. <laughs> As a family, we were really enjoying going to wineries and building a business plan and whatnot. And um, a few, few years later, my sister got engaged. This is the way the story goes for so many venue owners, right? Yes. My sister got engaged. I was going to say, there's so many people I'm sure who are listening to this right now saying, we are doing that right this yes. moment. Yes. And we've talked to some venue owners who, who do, who have this beginning. Yeah. Um, so anyway, keep going. So my sister got engaged and she wanted to have her reception on the farm that, that um, we have in the family. And we saw that as the opportunity to build the shell of the building. It was not fancy. Um, venues back in 2012 when we were starting was were very different mm -hmm. than than venues. The market looked very different than it did today. Um, but crazy couples kept calling, asking if they could get married at our venue too. We did 19 weddings our first year. Wow. Um, went through all of the permitting process and whatnot before that to make sure we did it the right way. I'm a big proponent for that in the industry. Um, but we were just talking about that. We're gonna, yeah, we'll we're probably touch on that just a little <laughs> bit. But um, yeah, so permitting. Really quick though, before we fast track. So you said yep. we, you said family property. Mm -hmm. This Is this a family affair? You have other people who help you run the business or is this mainly your venture? Yeah, it started as a family affair. Okay. Um, um, and I love my family and we, we're involved in, everybody in my family is all running different businesses, so nobody else is actively in the business, yeah. um, but it started as a family, Very cool. family affair. Yep. Very cool. So. I want to ask just a quick question on that before we move on. I know, and this is something I've asked other venue owners as well who work with family. I run my business, I own my business with my wife, yep. right? And so you kind of have to like take off that spouse hat in a sense, but that's not practical also. Yeah. Like in theory that works, but then it doesn't always work. So who, who kind of were the players involved in, in your family and did you ever feel like there was stress or friction that the business caused in your personal relationship oh. and how did you handle that? I mean, were you on the phone this morning when I was talking to my dad? Like, <laughs> that's family business, right? I think that's yeah. part of it. So, um, you know, we learned pretty early on that um, my husband and I are not, not meant to be in business together. Like okay. he needs his thing and I need my thing because- Was he originally involved? Um, for like a minute, okay. Okay. yeah. Um, but it's really impossible for me to not be the boss. Yeah. And that doesn't work in a marriage relationship, yeah. right? So um, my dad has been always been a sounding board. He's a really smart business guy. I have a ton of respect for him. Um, but my dad, if he had his way every if he got to design everything, he, has, he makes some really great choices, but I joke that like everything would have wagon wheels and like be super <laughs> duded up, you know? Um, so one of my, my favorite ways to navigate kind of that family challenge and family conversation is, and we did, we learned this early on, it can't be what I want, it can't be what they want, it's what is our ideal client want and need, and it really like starts to take away the stress, I think, around the family business. Yeah. I love that. That makes so much sense. And also when you, when everyone has kind of agreed to have a common heading, yes. then you're solving the same problem. Yes. And maybe there's different perspectives around that problem, but then it becomes less of like a personal attack and more of like, what are we looking for? Yes. How do we, how do we take care of our ideal client? Not just like, this is what I want. No, this is what I want. And that's so hard in this business, right? And like, and that's one of the things I challenge my coaching clients all the time on. I'll hear them say things like, I think I'm like, okay, well, 
you think, but is that what your ideal client thinks? Is that what, so it, when you really start to change your language around that, you change the way that you think, I think there's a lot of opportunity in that for business owners. So you mentioned coaching clients, mm -hmm. and then you also mentioned 100 weddings per year. Yeah. You know, you've had <laughs> a, a lot of success in this industry. Tell me about uh, your coaching business. You have, I, I'm aware of it, but so I'm not gonna spoil it, but tell me, <laughs> tell me about your coaching business. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, so you know, my observation is it's really fun to build something successful yourself, mm -hmm. right? And and I felt like with Haw Valley, we, um, not to get too in the details here, but like there's some situations with my kids that, that meant out of the gates, I built the business differently than the way most people get into this business. So what I've noticed is, is a lot of new owners have kind of built themselves at the center of the business. Mm -hmm. That wasn't possible for me. We had to kind of make different decisions out of the gates and um, so I knew that the way we ran Haw Valley isn't the way that kind of everybody does it. Does it? And, and I've been really blessed for years to be able to be working on the business, not just in the business. And I knew that it's hard to be new. And to be fair, when we started, like our most direct competition um, had a gravel floor inside of a pavilion, right? Our most direct competition now has spent three, four, five million dollars building a building. It's just very wow. different, right? And so we have the luxury of learning slowly. I'm not gonna say we did it all right. We've made plenty of mistakes along the way. Um, but I just, it's fun to be successful yourself, but it's even more fun to like get to teach and help others be successful too. And we made so many mistakes along the way that if I could help someone else be successful, I really wanted to do that. So five or six years ago, I started um, formally coaching other venues owners have coached north of 300 wow. now formally and it's it's just so rewarding and I know it's easy to say things like that but it really is I joke with my coaching clients I'm like you guys feel like my kids yeah. <laughs> like I feel like you're growing and you're winning and I'm so proud of you so well I know we have listeners who have been through your different courses mm -hmm. and or the different programs that you have and I've also talked to so many different people who have been through your your courses, they've worked with you. I keep saying courses, but it's more of a program, correct? Coaching program. Yeah, yeah. coaching program. So um, I, I've talked to so many people and just the like, Kristen's great. Like honestly, I should put together like a, a mini reel <laughs> of the conversations because sometimes it happens even off camera, like yeah. when, we, when we're not having this. So major kudos to you. Thank I mean, you. what you've done for our industry, even when I was first looking on getting in here, I think I found a blog that you had written on venue pricing. And that was like a couple years ago, you know? And so, and that's when I first became aware of you. And then I was like, I have to have this lady on the podcast. She's crushing it. Like, Thank you. so um, you mentioned though, talking about working on the business versus working in the business. And I, I know that's a term that people throw around, yeah. but very practically, what does that mean specifically for venue owners? Yeah, um, so here's my perspective, and, and sometimes when I kind of use this um, analogy, it lands and sometimes it doesn't, so tell me if it doesn't. So I learned a long time ago that when you start thinking about your business like a product, and you're always working on making the product better, that's where a lot of wins can come from, as opposed to feeling like the business is me, or I'm just trying to do my best today, right? So, um, and, and on top of that, so I think for a long time, I have been unattached to it needs to be my idea, because it doesn't. There's all sorts of good ideas that don't come from me, right? My team is awesome. Um, and we've really created a culture as a team that we're always all trying to make something 1% better. Like, I'll give you a really practical but silly example. Um, one of our team members years ago um, was like, guys, why do we have recycling in black trash bags and trash in black trash bags? Well, we have to take it out at the end of the night. Um, we have to, like, I end up throwing the recycling in the dumpster. Can we please put the recycling in a clear trash bag? Oh, 
yeah, well, duh, that makes a lot of sense, but it didn't have to come from me, right? So I feel like as a team, we've really had a culture for a long time of everyone's trying to make it 1% better. So I'm working on it, not, you know, lots of new owners are cutting the grass and cleaning the toilets and doing the tours and doing, the, like doing all of the things. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very plugged into the business, but it doesn't have to be me at the center of the business. Mm. We've really built it from the get-go, I think, to scale. There, there becomes a, from my perspective, there becomes a pivotal point. You know, you get to that 30, 40, depending on how much capacity you have with other things in life, um, weddings a year, and you get to this point that it, it's hard to grow because you're doing all the things. You're working in it. And to get past that point, you've got to be able to pull yourself out of the business. But if you didn't set it up to grow, it's really painful mm -hmm. to pull yourself out of the business. So, what would you say for someone who's a brand new venue owner, or they're they're maybe doing research? Maybe this podcast, watching or listening to this podcast, is part of that research, and they're saying, "Okay, you know, I want to set this up in a way that I can work on it. I don't want to have to work every single weekend. I know that I want to do sixty or eighty or gosh, a hundred mm -hmm. weddings a year, but I don't want to be on the clock." Yeah. 100 days a year, 100 weddings. And realistically, I mean, it's much more than just that. You know, if you're doing 100 weddings a year, you're 365 days yeah. doing something, responding to reviews, you're doing, you know, taking care of the clients that are booked, booking new clients, your marketing, whatever. Um, so what are some, some simple steps, some key steps, some things that come to mind to help people set their venue up to not be reliant on them? Not reliant on the venue owner. On the venue owner themselves. Yeah. So, um, okay, man, there's a lot of legs to that. So, yeah. in in part, it's a big first step is like believing it doesn't have to be you. Okay. So often I talk to venue owners and they're like, well, Kristen, no employee is going to care as much as I do. Nobody's going to do it as good as I do. Right. I've and heard that several times, not only from clients but also from even podcast guests yeah. who do. Uh, so I think there's a, a bit of maybe controversy around this. What do you think about that though? Like. I, I mean, listen, somebody said to me a long time ago when I said, I need to hire a mini-me. And then they said to me, no, Kristen, you need to hire someone better than you. Yeah. And I was like, wow, yeah, that's what I need, right? So like our landscaping manager has been with me for 10 years. I don't know anything that's in that guy's head. I can water the plants, like I'm happy to help, but like he is, a, he is in his zone of genius yeah. in that role, you know what I mean? So as opposed to me, I think sometimes it comes from Sometimes it comes from ego for folks. I think a lot of times it just comes from a scarcity mindset that like it has to be me because I can't afford for it to be different, um, but trying to do all of the things. Mm -hmm. What sense. about the affording question? Because that's definitely something that I know I struggled with and my wife and I, when we were thinking about growing the business, it's like, well, I would love to hire a business manager or even a virtual assistant or you know, someone who does marketing or anything like that, but it was like, Oh my gosh, you need to look up the average salary and you know, with labor, the labor market the way it is nowadays, it's like, gosh, I don't know if I can afford that. Oh, is that a misconception? Like, can people actually afford it? Just feels scary? Okay, well, it's a great question. And I think even the way you pose that question, I would, I would um, maybe reposition to everybody thinks it seems like I have to hire a full-time person yeah. or I have to hire a heavy part-time person. And honestly, I think that a lot of venue owners um, sometimes think that they sometimes hire too quickly, especially into a full-time venue manager role, because there's parts of the business they're uncomfortable with. There's things that they don't know, and they think if they hire, and I see this a lot with like, if I hire a young person, they know social media, they grew up with social media. Well, knowing so knowing how to use social media 
as a human versus knowing how to use social media for business are two different things. But venue owners will hire, and, and so can they afford it? Well, you, we have to believe we can afford it, right? Like if you, this is a, a light bulb moment, I think, for folks sometimes. But we all sell high-ticket expiring dates. Mm -hmm. That's what we do, right? So you have to value your time. If you're going to spend your time getting your nails done or twiddling your fingers or whatever, like you're not spending your time wisely if you pay for someone to do something for you in your business. But if you can go spend your time selling a $5,000, $9,000, $12,000 wedding, like now I'm using my time effectively. And yes, it absolutely pays for that person. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like yeah. we have to start by valuing our time first. Yeah, it really does. And you know what you said about the, the expiring dates. I mean, we are selling these expiring dates as venue managers, as venue owners. And what you said, it kind of trails back to what you said earlier about setting it up to not be owner-reliant. Yeah. Because if you have a price point or if you know your target price point is such that will allow you to hire people, that's very different than if you're taking on and it, you know, your your construction budget and how you take on debt and just like how you look at the the picture of venue ownership does change when you think I might need to hire two, three, four people to support me in these different roles. So that's huge. And for our new venue owners uh, or you know people who hope to own venues one day, that is really key. Like when you're doing market research or when you're doing some of those things, evaluate what it's going to look like for not just you to do all of the things, but what is it going to look like for you to replace yourself? Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Okay, so let's shift a little bit because I want to be able to talk to those folks who have been in business for a while and you've got 10 seasons. Mm -hmm. You're in your 10th season now, yeah. correct? That's so much experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that because you've gone through phases, you've gone through seasons. I know there's probably been times where you thought something was so important and then it wasn't as important as maybe yeah. you thought. Um, can you reflect back and give us some of the main key things that you feel like the experience in venue ownership has mm -hmm. taught you? Maybe even some preconceptions that you kind of proved to yourself were incorrect? Yeah, so one that I know for us, but I also hear all the time for newbies in the business is like, oh, you know, if we just get five or 10 weddings under our belt, we'll know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and from a practical perspective, I don't know, we've done six or 700 weddings and like, we still learn things at weddings. So yeah. that like always be learning and that there is, that is, it's both exciting, but it's also, something I, quite frankly, didn't expect early on in the business. Let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about, now you're in your 10th season mm -hmm. uh, of weddings, and I wanna talk a little bit to those venue owners that have been in business maybe two, three, four years, and maybe they feel like they've got it. Mm -hmm. They've got it covered. They're feeling really good. Um, or on the flip side of that, maybe now there are new competitors in their market. Yeah, there's a lot changing. And you kind of mentioned that a little bit in the beginning as we were starting that, what are some of the differences or what was some of the progression that you saw in your market when you first started versus now, you know, you mentioned like some people who spent three to $4 million. Yeah. What was that progression like as you've been in business? Oh my goodness, the marketplace has changed so dramatically, so dramatically over the last 10 years. Price points have, have changed dramatically um, in terms of our marketplace. I think when I think back to like those early years versus now, so much of what I was actively doing, purposely doing, but like what I would do differently, if mm -hmm. that makes sense, yeah. is I was the brakes on my business for a very long time. I mean, from a practical perspective, we could have, you know, we did 19 weddings and 34 weddings and then 44 weddings, right? We, I was the brakes because I was so um, hesitant that we were gonna break this like magic that mm -hmm. we had, if that makes sense. And what I know now, sitting 10 seasons in and 
consistently doing 100 weddings a year is like that magic if if you have really great systems and processes and people and you care and you as a venue owner don't lose your joy i think that's something that's so evident in in our industry right now is how many people really aren't experiencing the joy that they want to out of the business but when you have that like you don't have to be the brakes on your business mm -hmm. and from a practical perspective the marketplace is continuing to get more crowded um, you know, we're seeing a lot of things happen in terms of gas prices and inflation right now. And so the best opportunity is always going to be now. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be now. And that's actually one of the things I'm talking about at Wedding MBA this week. You know, when I was in, in 2019, I was saying a lot of guys, this could be our last best year ever mm -hmm. in the industry because we were seeing that tipping point between supply and demand. Yeah. Um, 2020 hit. We've seen the rebound effect from that, but we're seeing the normalization in 2023. So, so if you're in that place that you, you can grow, but you're fearful about it, like I would say whether it's me or whether it's somebody else, get support from someone who's grown through it. Because my business at 20, 30, 40, 50 weddings a year had to look a lot different than mm -hmm. it is at 100 weddings a year. But um, Could you yeah. tell us some key differences that you had as a business, as a mm -hmm. wedding business, at 30 to 40 venues a year versus now doing over 100? Um, so at 30 or 40 weddings a year, you can there's more margin for error. Like there's more room because if you only have Saturday weddings and you, or maybe a double here or there, you get the opportunity to kind of learn slowly. When you get into double and triple headers, especially year round, there's much less margin for error. You have to be consistently good. It's one of the things I, I talk to my team about a lot. It's like we're, um, I'm not a sports person, so if I mess up my analogies here, everybody just forgive me for that. But it's like going to the championship game every weekend, right? It, it's every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. We don't get a do-over, mm -hmm. right? Um, couples don't get a do-over. So um, right and tight and on point consistently is is critical when you're going from 30 or 40 to 60, 70, 80, 100 weddings a year. Team also becomes an interesting breaking point because I believe there are kind of levels in the business that you can operate with a certain number of people. Um, and even like I'll say a couple of years ago, we were doing 85 weddings a year. That was our sold out number. Going from 85 to this year we have 106, next year we have 107 booked, I think we have 40 booked right now in 2024. Um, that 85 to 106 is, doesn't seem like that big a jump, but that's like 60 extra shifts for yeah. us. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's bigger, and then and then there, I'll, I'll, transparently, there were things that worked really well in the business at, at 85 weddings a year that just don't work as well at 106 weddings a year. So you have to be willing to not hold, overly hold on to the way you've always done something because what got you here isn't going to get you there. Mm -hmm. But we as business owners have to not be too proud, I think, that, yeah. that the business has to change if you want the business to change. Yeah. So a question about that and kind of diving in a little bit more to pricing, maybe not specifically, but just as, you, as your business grew, did you find that your pricing changed um, dramatically or did you kind of start out at one place and then just incrementally increase to track the market or to track competition or cost of doing business? Yeah, so some of this comes to who your ideal client is, right? So so transparently we could charge more than we do, but we really like the price point that they're at that we're at and, and the couples that we serve. So to answer your question, I mean we've 
basically, yeah, we basically doubled our prices since mm -hmm. we opened 10 years ago, but the marketplace also justified that, mm -hmm. you know? Fair. So, and that's interesting because I think for any of our existing venue owner friends who are listening to this right now and thinking maybe they should increase their prices or they're hearing from experts in the industry or they're going to go to Wedding MBA and someone's going to say, raise your prices. I think I saw Terica, you know, with a, with a cool Instagram post about that. And I think a lot of people do need to raise their prices, but a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like there's a time where a venue shouldn't raise their prices? That's a great question. Um, here's my perspective on that. There is, this business is different. I think this is a really important point. The venue part of the market is different than other categories of the market because we have such a, we have so much more overhead mm. than most. So I think we have to be really careful when you hear someone specifically who's not a venue owner or specifically in yeah. the venue space with recommendations based on pricing. And, and I, even my coaching clients, like when we occasionally have this conversation, I think there's a light bulb moment for some people. So this is very much a volume creates opportunity game because we have heavier overhead costs. There's there's fixed costs, there's semi-fixed costs, and those are usually pretty big numbers for venue owners, right? So it's it's often gonna be more valuable for someone to host more weddings, not at the most premium price point, than it is less weddings, because we've all gotta cover our overhead. Once you get past the point of break even, this can become a pretty valuable, pretty profitable business pretty quickly, mm -hmm. but, but you've gotta get to break even first. So just rushing to, ra to raise your prices, if that's not what the, the market justifies in your marketplace, and, and if there's been a dozen new venues open in the last 24 months, and, and as the marketplace gets tougher, we see people discount, we see people wheel and deal. I, I'm not a proponent of that for venue owners, but it happens. Um, it's something that I wouldn't take just blanket advice Mm -hmm. from some from people saying we should raise our prices. Absolutely. And certainly there are, I'm sure cases and you know both people should For raise sure. their prices or not. Exactly. Um, as far as pricing goes, you said you're not a proponent of wheeling and dealing. Do you mm -hmm. feel like there's ever a time where discounting venue prices is acceptable or advised? Uh, okay, this is a soapbox topic for me. Totally, so yeah. I fully recognize and appreciate my mindset and the way that I make decisions on this is different and not the only way, right? So, so I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, my short answer is no, mm -hmm. because I believe that setting your price point effectively in the marketplace, um, commute, and this is so critical, it's not just about price point, it's about your value. It's about couples actually understanding why your price point is more than fair and, and, and is an opportunity for them to. Um, Go ahead. Well, I don't want to lose this, but discounting to me sets an expectation with a client out of the gates that you're negotiable. And if you really want to protect your joy in this business and you really want to have couples that you love and respect you and, and that's mutual back and forth, right? Setting up a relationship that is kind but firm and clear out of the gates serves them and serves you. I, there's no one who can convince me that boundaries don't serve people. I 100% believe that boundaries serve people. And many, 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 many venue owners are people pleasers by nature. Yeah. And I celebrate that about the venue, venue owners, right? Because it makes you a good person. You want to do right by people. But when you discount out of the gates, you're literally setting the expectation that you're negotiable. And that is a slippery slope for a 12, 18, 24 month time period of managing clients. That is so, that is so true. I love that. We have to make that a clip. I mean, that is like, <laughs> That is, and we're going through that right now. There's one of our owners who we work with um, who, who's going through that. And I think 
to Kristen's point, like it does make you a good person. You, like it's great that you want to serve people, but just offering a discount doesn't really serve them and even creates an expectation and maybe entitlement and some different things like that. And we could go into that more, but I wanted to ask, um, you know, you've spoken a lot about joy mm. and, you've, and you've touched on that a couple of times here in our conversation. For our experienced venue owners right now who maybe heard that and don't feel the joy anymore or really feel like it's a grind or feel like, you know, my gosh, they've had a couple of bad reviews and they're just not feeling great about what they're doing right now and where they're at in their venue business. They feel like something needs to change, but they might even feel a little trapped because it's like maybe it's a family property or maybe, you know, some of those things. Are there ways that you have seen that can kind of like jumpstart getting their joy back? So systematically being able to have joy in your business, I really think comes from a place of being willing to take a big step back from where you're at and not be so committed to right now where things are at in, in like this like you know focus that's so in your face about what's going on and being willing to step back from the business and being willing to change and that's hard for a lot of folks right but the more clear you get on who it is that do I really want to serve mm-hmm. because joy is more possible when you're serving people that you really want to attract and love on and and do your very best for, right? Being clear and confident who who is not a good fit, right, Mm -hmm. for you. And that doesn't mean that you're judgmental or that doesn't mean that there's not another venue that's a good fit, right? Like we all just have people that we connect with and that we don't. Um, And then being willing to take a look at your systems and your business and your time in your business and like where the suck points are, like where the where the points are that just don't serve you. Maybe they and, and truthfully, guys, like it, maybe it worked for you at 25 weddings a year, but That's if you're at point. 50 weddings a year and it's not feeling joyful, it's not that it's not possible. I mean, sometimes I think when I when I do interviews like this or stand on a stage or whatever, it feels it could feel like oh, Kristen, I bet you're pretending to have joy in your business. I bet you're pretending. And I'm not going to say every day it's perfect. I think mm-hmm. that that's not true, um, but I can with just 100% honesty say, I love my business and I love my team. I've never had a bridezilla, never. I've had a dadzilla and a groomzilla, so you know I'm telling the truth, <laughs> right? But I've never had a bridezilla. Um, we really do love it. It is possible. I think it starts with believing it's possible and also just being willing to make changes and not double down on what you're already doing because what you're already doing got you to here, but that doesn't, if it's not working anymore, it's not working anymore. I love that. You know, it's so interesting. You you said that the belief, there's a belief component, then a willingness to change, but laced in there and kind of throwing back to what you said before, boundaries. And oh, boundaries, 100%. And that's crazy in this industry because, you know, the people who are listening to this are people who do care about others. Like, we are in the hospitality industry. We're taking care of these people on, on this incredible day, most important day of their life. They're yeah. spending a lot of money. There's family. There's emotions of all. There's all this stuff going on. And so part of us as people who are crazy enough to get into this industry is because we, you know, we see an opportunity. And then we also know that we want to take care of people. We want to provide a great experience for people. And I, and I love that. But then at, the cert, at a certain point, like, if you don't have that boundary, in place, then you end up, you know, pouring out of an empty glass. Yes, and no is not mean, yeah. right? Like sometimes people, I, I am, I am really, really, really good at saying no. I, it's actually, a, I have a formula for saying no that I teach my coaching clients um, because boundaries and saying no is something that a lot of people struggle with. But I believe boundaries serve people, and so if. 
and here's a mindset shift for you, I think. I, so often when venue owners are used to saying yes, number one, they're saying yes to things they don't want to. They're saying yes to things that take their time from the business and away from their family. They're saying yes to things that um, they wouldn't do if they had it to do over again, but they've gotten on this, this sliding slope of like, well, I said yes last time, so now they're accept it's harder to say no when you didn't, when you didn't establish boundaries out of the relationship. Um, but there is, I'm so glad that you said that because saying no actually serves people because if I say yes to everything and I tell this to coaching clients, like, listen, then you better want to work every weekend. Yeah. And if you're changing the rules all the time, expect to work every weekend because you can't plug a successful team into a model that the rules are always changing and you can't give really incredible service to couples every single time if you're changing the rules because now your team can't be successful so yeah. now they can't give great service so boundaries absolutely serve people including your clients not just you so Kristen while you were saying that I couldn't help but having this like phrase come to my mind fences create freedom and that sounds like an oxymoron because you think of a fence and you're like, someone inside a fence is not free. I'm just going to a horse, like a horse in a corral, right? A horse is not necessarily free, but if you think about it, as venue owners, we may start this business because we want freedom, freedom of our schedule. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people who come from corporate America. For sure. There's, a, you know, actually your background, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> now you have all this freedom of time. So there's this, this reinforcement for venue owners, and I think just people in business in general, that now entrepreneurship is freedom, right? Mm. It's this key to freedom. So now you have freedom. But then you go on this process of consistently creating boundaries around each of the zones of your business and that actually is a fence and you know you can't go too far and you can't offer that much of a discount and you need to you know you're thinking about budgets and you're thinking about all these different things so it's like the action that was rewarded initially right in creating your business yeah. and the freedom that you were pursuing now you have to go in and actually create fences and create boundaries and create some of these different things so we have to maybe even unlearn that a little bit because we, we were rewarded in the fact that like we started our business, it was very great, it's rewarding, we're excited, we get to like, you know, be entrepreneurs and, and, and you know, do things for ourselves. So there is freedom there, mm -hmm. but then like now we have to reverse engineer that and create the boundaries. Well, for sure, but it's also kind of like when you work in corporate, you have a boss, mm -hmm. right? Or when you, when you work for somebody else, you have a boss. When, you, when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of have 100 bosses if you have 100 different clients. You and know then all I mean? your employees, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like they exactly. can fire you and quit. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's funny because an, an, a, a saying that I like is like entrepreneurship is the only the only role where you quit a 40 hour job to work 80 hours a week, you know what I mean? It's like, so, so it's like this percept, I think that that's, I think that there's a difference. So I think there's this perception of freedom, like, well, no one's telling me what to do. I'm running my own business. That feels like freedom, I think, in the beginning. And there is some, and, and maybe other people other than me really relate to that version of freedom. But freedom to me is really being able to create something that lives beyond you. Like I know if I got hit by a bus today, I am 100% confident that we would deliver on the weddings, the 170 weddings we have booked right now. I'm 100% confident. Maybe we wouldn't book quite as many weddings as we're booking now, because that's still part of my responsibility. But like I have freedom in knowing that like I've built something that's bigger than me. Mm -hmm. We've built, it's, I, I shouldn't even say that, we, our yeah. team has built something that's bigger than me. And, and because of that, and because I'm not the one at the center of it, 
and doing all of the things, I have freedom to do something else. And one thing I know about so many venue owners is we're fire starters, mm -hmm. right? Like you got into this business, build a pretty building, you think it's gonna be easy, you do it for two or three years, you think you're gonna hire a venue manager who's a unicorn and gonna do all the things for you. And that is just not really the way it usually works for most folks. It's not the way that it works for us. I still work in the business too. Um, but freedom to me is really being able to work on the things that you provide the highest and best value, that, that fill your cup, that's probably a little bit too overdone. But really like the things that bring you joy yeah. so I can work a lot and I do I work a lot yeah but I'm doing the things that are within my zone of genius and that I really love yeah I love that that's so powerful well I want to wrap up today asking the two questions that I like to ask everybody favorite thing about owning a venue and least favorite thing and actually I want to start with the least favorite thing so we end on a high note but what is your <laughs> absolute least favorite thing about owning a wedding venue after 10 seasons. Okay, can I have two? Oh, please, okay. absolutely. I did this to you last time, can I have two? <laughs> One is complaining neighbors. We try so hard to be good neighbors and that's just hard, right, when you're trying to do. The other thing I would say, and I could solve for this if I wanted to, it just hasn't been enough of a, a thing for me to solve for this one, is like when someone calls you at 12.30 at night, like, I lost my earring at the venue. That's a thing, yeah. that's totally a thing. We need to, yeah, if that's <laughs> happened to you and you own a venue, let us know in the comments. Yeah. Like, you'll have to say something about that because that, yeah, that's so relatable. It's, it's totally a thing, so. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And then, yeah, what about your favorite thing, owning a venue? I could not be more proud of our team. Hmm. And, I, and like, it's, it's taken work to get there, you know? But like, my favorite thing is, is when I see them really enjoying what they do and like getting to play in their zones of genius and like giving really great service because they want to not because it's their job you know it's just when you when someone else gets to have joy that's really fun that's so cool could you just quickly break down the team members that you have in place so there's some context around that yeah, um, I will, and I will say because I spend a, a great deal of my time coaching other venue owners, my uh -huh. team looks different 100%. than than I would than most of my coaching clients' teams would look. So Fair. I do have a full-time venue manager. Um, she's fantastic, and I have more or less the equivalent. If I if I took two or three other people's roles, I have the equivalent of another full-time position, but it's broke out across several different team members. Um, some of those are part-time roles. Some of those are full-time roles, but they're full-time that are crossover to my my coaching business as well. And then we have. I don't know, 10 or 12 different seasonal part-time rock stars. Got it. So you have some seasonal people who help set up, take, tear down, all the kind of day of things, yeah. venue manager, and then you said someone, that person who was kind of go-between is like in sales, or what was the? So I really have uh, three or four other people, but they're, um, you know, accounting and oh, or bookkeeping. It's like part-time stuff, or it's, hey, you know, one of my key people um, works 25 weddings a year for us, but also is um, serving venue owners in the coaching business. So they're just crossover positions. So if I really added all those positions up, I probably have two full-time equivalents in the business. Got it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm, I've just been so thrilled to be able to chat with you and just get to know you more and your business. And I wanted to know just for anyone who's interested in what you do, interested in the coaching programs you have, you have two different tracks as far as I understand. Mm -hmm. um, could you 
explain to everyone a little bit more on the coaching side of things and if they're interested in hiring you or working with you or um, you know professionally picking your brain what do the programs look like and how can people sign up yeah absolutely so um, we have two programs that serve serve venue owners excuse me one is the venue pathfinder it's really designed for people who are interested in opening a wedding venue maybe you're serious about opening a wedding venue you're really at that decision point of are we a go or a no-go you recognize you don't know all the things because nobody knows all the things right um, but really it's designed for folks who are at that spot the venue accelerator is a program we have had for many many years um, that's really designed for people who are in the business who want to attract their ideal couples book more weddings and scale their business so they can work on it um, not just in it cool yeah and yeah. that's what we talked about today so yeah, awesome absolutely. all right well we will leave the links for all of that all of Kristen's uh, the places that you can connect with Kristen in the description and then if you're listening on on Spotify or iTunes uh, everything will be linked there as well but yeah you can go and connect with you so what is your handle on Instagram yeah at wedding venue owner is pretty much our handle everywhere and then our Facebook group is building and running a profitable wedding venue amazing so is that the best place to Instagram is the best place to reach out if people want to connect or KristenBinford.com, I'd say that's probably best perfect okay <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for joining us everyone uh, it's been so great having this you is so fun <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming in studio today Bye. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening. If you are a return listener, could you do me a huge favor and consider rating and reviewing the show? We don't run ads. We're not really looking to do that, but we do want to grow the show. And so my ask to you is you take a moment or two and rate the show wherever you're listening to it, whether that is Apple Music, Spotify, uh, even if you're on you know, YouTube, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear from you. Please shoot me a DM though on Instagram so that I can thank you personally and I'd love to shout you out as well. I appreciate you more than you can imagine. All right, back to the show.